You are listening to the Revive the World Ministries podcast. We hope this message encourages you to be all God created you to be so that you can impact the world around you with the love and power of God. For more information about us, you can visit our website at revivetheworld.org or visit us in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. We hope to connect with you soon. Thanks, Jesus. How about you? I got obliterated during worship. My gosh. <laughs> you could feel just the presence as they started just get thicker and thicker. And I'm just grateful for people who lead us into those places that they've been. You know, I can't take you where I haven't been before. When people are leading you into a place like that, it's because they've cultivated intimacy and a relationship uh, with Jesus personally and when nobody's looking. And then we get to follow in to this place. And uh, when we're doing it corporately, there's this special grace and anointing that comes for corporate worship when the family gets together. And it all increases and there's no limitation to where we can go. We haven't even come close to uh, <laughs> exhausting what God has for us, right? I think we're just scratching the surface in a, in a whole lot of ways, if not all the ways. Oh, I'm so grateful. Who's grateful that we get to get to break this fast today? I'm going to ask you something real serious before I, I go on. But, um, I need somebody to save me a piece of cornbread. I heard there were only two people making it. I'm just doing the math. I'm always the last one out there. (laughs) And I'm not going to break my fast after 30 days (laughs) with chili as much as I'd like to. Some of y'all didn't fast food. That's good. Whatever you did fast, that's great. Whether, you know, congratulations to all those that completed it and even those that didn't. You know, God's not grading you. (laughs) <laughs> on on your fast, um, but it, it's a time where we we deny the natural to invoke our new nature in a greater way. Because when we clean out the clutter and the distractions, and we begin to focus more in on Him, what happens is we step more into who we already are. If that makes sense, it, our beliefs are supposed to go higher dur- during a fast. Our beliefs about God, our beliefs about us, and it's supposed to become more natural to relax and rest in our oneness with Jesus. And then we actually, we live in this just natural state of being a child of God. (laughs) So I believe that happened from the people I talked to, um, that happened. And you know what else it does is it it builds unity within the body, which is happening worldwide. And unity is one of the most powerful things that there is. And uh, Jesus prayed, John 17, you know, Father, just make, make them one as, as we're one. There was a reason Jesus prayed that. And one of the reasons was, was so that we could uh, enforce the victory that, that he won at the cross uh, all over the world. And it's, and it's happening. It's happening. So it's, uh, it's good. We'll, we'll pray and break this fast when I, I get done speaking. It doesn't do a whole lot of good to, to do it while... I'm speaking or before I'm speaking because y'all aren't going to go eat. (laughs) And for anybody who was fasting social media, I don't want to break it before because you might be tempted. You'd be scrolling Instagram and (laughs) Facebook and whatever else you get on. (laughs) So it's it's good. I'm I'm glad for chili cook-off. It's one of the most amazing times we have because because there's food. And... um, (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry, last night Lindsay was, Lindsay was, was making chili in the kitchen and I, I was in the bedroom and it was silent, you know, because usually I'll, I'll wind down at the end of the day with a TV show or something and, and she, she said, hey honey, you can, you can turn something on if you want to. And I said, no, I'm good, I'm just, I'm just looking at menus. <laughs> I was, I was, <laughs> I'm guilty, I was just looking at menus, dreaming. I was like, that looks amazing. <laughs> just fantasizing about my future. <laughs> it doesn't help, but I have built a menu over the last 30 days of things that I will eat soon. 
and some I probably shouldn't because everything looks good. So vegetables never tasted so good. I'm like, these are amazing. Why don't I eat more of them? <clears throat> so <laughs> it's been good, though. It's been good for me physically. I hope it has been for you. Uh, every fast that I do, it's God's, it's, it's trifold, essentially, as he wants it to be good for me spiritually, mentally, emotionally, for my soul, and for my physical body. And so every time I'm, I'm going higher in those places, and then I just got to implement those same disciplines when I'm not fasting, <laughs> which I'm doing, I'm doing better at all the time. So, so today I want to take you through some scriptures and empower us in a place of a place of our natural state of being, but also a place of, of what it looks like to do what it is that Jesus set the example for. Last week, Joe talked about words of knowledge, and people gave words of knowledge, and it was an incredible teaching, a really empowering teaching. And so I want to add to, I want to add to that, and hopefully add value to that, and add value to what we're created to do as, as sons and daughters of God. Because it's, it's beautiful that we're learning to rest in Him. That's key. It's key. It's key. And, and no, we don't have to do anything. We don't have to do anything for His love. We don't have to do anything to be to be qualified. We don't have to do anything to be accepted or approved. We have all that. That's, that's mine. But when I truly rest in him and I truly begin to believe those things, it causes something to be ignited on the inside of me. Because, because love looks like something. And when I'm in love, I'm going to look like the one that I am, I am in love with. And so I get this privilege of also of, of fulfilling what Jesus has dreamed for each one of our lives. And we talk about this, I talked about this on, on a short, just couple minutes uh, video that I did this week, is that in the kingdom, we're, one of the things George and Banoff prophesied over us years ago was that we wouldn't raise up cookie cutter Christians. Is that we weren't, you, don't have to, you don't have to all worship the same, we don't have to all do the same thing when it comes to, you know, it's not like we're trying to make you, make you all preachers from this perspective and teachers and you know it's it's not I don't want you all to work inside the church that's not what we want we want you to be completely free to be yourself and whatever passions and desires that Jesus has placed in you and just look like him look like love wherever you're at and so you're free to be yourself you're not in a box you're not contained within walls can't contain you uh, that's we're not meant to be contained it's like uh, some people may try to contain people into uh, your fire was meant to be in a fireplace no you're you're meant to be a bonfire uh, on the beach where the party's at <laughs> and uh, you're you're not meant to be contained into that I love the the feel and the look. We have a, a beautiful fireplace in our house. I love to sit in front of it until I get too hot, and then I, I like to get away from it. But it's the ambiance. It's the, the mood that's set. It's the, the atmosphere, right? I love all that, but we weren't c- created to be contained in a place uh, where there's walls around our life and we're restricted. God doesn't do that to people. And so we're not doing that to you, but there are overarching thing, themes that we are all called to when it comes to the Bible. That we were all created to walk naturally in the supernatural. It is actually unnatural for a son or daughter of God to not be drawn to the miraculous. It's unnatural. The, the only ways that that happens is if I am ignorant of it in the kingdom or somebody has taught me out of it, or I've dealt with a disappointment that has wrecked my faith in a way that I just, I just gave up because there was nobody around me to help me pick up the pieces and help encourage me. Maybe I wasn't in family or maybe I, I wasn't in a, a healthy family or whatever the case may be. I'm not blaming people, but I'm saying these are the reasons, and I'll go through some other stuff hopefully here in a little bit, that I've found. It's not an exhaustive list, but it definitely is. It's, it's some of the top things that I've found in people's life and the things that I have been tempted by to, to no longer live a life of the miraculous. Now, it's been a while since I've been tempted by that, but I have been, and I just want to be vulnerable and real with you. And so it's, it's in us. It's part of our DNA. We were created to, to 
walk in the miraculous effortlessly. God lives in us. I mean, come on. God didn't come into our lives just so that I would, I would be able to live a good life. Some people believe that, that God is just, He's just coming to your life so that you can, you can just behave well and, and, and make a good, have a good job, hopefully leave something for your family in the terms of, of money, because some people call money inheritance, but I don't think money's inheritance, even though it's a, it's a great gift and a great way to start your kids off right. But inheritance actually comes from what I live out in my life. What I impart to the people that are around me, the ones that I get to influence, and especially the ones that are within my family, that, that's true inheritance. And so getting a hold of this, because you know that, that, that salvation comes through, through grace, by faith alone, has not been a natural revelation for that long, Right? So that now, uh, worldwide in the church, we believe that, that salvation comes through, through grace by faith alone, right? Everybody that I have ever met in all the churches, in my limited travel, and the people that I know, we all agree that that is the only way to Jesus. It's the only way. Jesus is the only way to the Father, and it comes by grace, through faith. Real simple, right? Ephesians 2.8. It's real easy. So that... That was not a mainstream of thought. There were people that actually fought for that and died for that truth. So that you and I can come into it and be like, oh, that's just, that's the only way that it is. But the blood of martyrs runs deep for that truth right there that we think is just a natural thing that we believe now, right? It's just common knowledge amongst Christians. And so this... This truth and these things that I'm talking about today are becoming a more common knowledge because people have fought for them. And so this is my question to us, is what are we, what are we fighting for in our lifetime that, will, that the next generations, plural, will step into in a way that it'll be like salvation comes by grace through faith alone? Because there has to be something. Because we're not here just to go to church on Sunday and, and, and as much as I love it, have chili cook-offs and, and have gatherings. It's, it's not about that. That's the family aspect of it, right? And it's so very valuable and it's the very top of the list. But there's a whole other life that we live out there. And we are leaving a legacy whether we like it or not. And I get to choose the legacy that I get to live. And Jesus has already set you and I up for success by giving us the Spirit of God. Like the Spirit of Jesus. He's made us one with Him. And so now, the only thing that stands in between me naturally walking in the miraculous and performing miracles, seeing the sick healed, seeing people set free, right? Being able to share God's heart with somebody wherever I'm at, hearing His heart. Some people call it the prophetic. I just, you're just hearing His heart. For, for the only thing that stands in the way of that being my normal everyday walk is what's between my ears. <laughs> it's just my thinking. It's simple. And so I, I love that about this, this kingdom life is the only thing that will ever prevent me from walking in more <clears throat> is my belief system and my, and my, <laughs> and my contentment. <clears throat> I'm not saying we have this, this is what I'm not saying. We have this phrase that we use, and it's, uh, I'm full, but I'm not satisfied, right? That's saying that, yes, Jesus is enough. I'm whole in Him. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful, because to be hungry and, and not grateful just will, it will cause frustration, but to be grateful and not hungry will cause this place of complacency where I don't even desire the more because this is just good enough for me. And both are dangerous places to be in. But there's easy ways out. That's what I, I love about Jesus. There's always, you know, it talks about in, in Second Corinthians or 1 Corinthians 10, he always shows us a way of escape. 
I don't think that that's necessarily always related to a sin issue. <laughs> I believe it's sometimes I've got myself in a place of my beliefs, and he's like, let me show you the way out. I've got a way out for you. I've got a, I've got a way to, I'm going to empower you back into this place of your natural state of being so that you can live out of everything that I dreamed you always would. Now let me be real clear. <clears throat> if you're perfectly content to live this life without a life of miracles, then that's okay. Jesus will love you just the same. He'll never change his mind about you. You can't make him change his mind. You aren't big enough, strong enough, <laughs> powerful enough to make him change his mind about you. <clears throat> but as he told me one time, he will consistently, because he loves us so much, consistently invite us into the more all the time. Because this life's about way more than me. <laughs> and so let me give you a couple scriptures. <clears throat> Let's start off and uh, do a couple parallel scriptures. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. This is out of the NASB. I think we have that. You do? Rachel's got an array of Bibles back there. Well, at least four that I know of. <laughs> Four translations on Pro Presenter. <clears throat> I was looking down as if I had it in my notes and I didn't. So, sorry. Here we are. This is, this is Isaiah prophesying 800 plus years towards the cross uh, about Jesus. It says, he was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain and familiar with sickness. And like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we had no regard for him. However, it was our sickness that he himself bore, struck, oh, that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. That comes to that thing that Sarah was singing about you know when people look at the looked at the cross the people that were present at that moment they thought it was a loss because you know that the disciples didn't they didn't even believe what Jesus was saying you find that after the cross when he had to walk through a wall to come into the room and they were terrified they locked themselves in a room hiding from the Jewish people and didn't want anything to do they didn't want anything to do with it and so that gives me hope because those were his disciples and I'm like wow I've, I've had some unbelief in my life and what Jesus did, he comes into a room and he empowers his disciples again. Because that's what he does. He walks through all of our walls as Jonathan Helser sings so beautifully. Let me read verse 4 again. However, it was our sickness that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. In the New King James, it says, by his stripes, we are healed. Let me follow this up with a couple more verses, okay? Matthew chapter 8. This is out of the New King James. Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Maybe I should have read these in a different order, but you'll get the picture. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. When evening had come, they brought to him, Jesus, many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all, <laughs> healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophetic word. It wasn't only on the, on the cross. Pre-cross, this Jesus, all through, the, all through the Gospels, he is actually living out of a new covenant lifestyle and giving an example of a couple different things. One, and most importantly, is that he is showing us who the Father is. He's demonstrating to us who God is as a good Father. He's clearing up all misconceptions about God. We see it in Hebrews 1.3, we see it in Colossians 1.15, we see it in John 14, we see it in John chapter 1, verse 18. There's some scriptures for you to build upon that particular, because theology doesn't happen out of one passage, it's scripture upon scripture upon scripture. 
And so he demonstrates what it is, what the Father looks like. He is the exact representation of his person, of his nature, of his character. And so he's demonstrating that to us, but he's also at the same time, he's inviting us into a lifestyle of the miraculous. He's saying not, he's not showing us what Jesus can do. He's showing us what one man in right relationship with the Father, full of the Holy Spirit, can do that rests in this place of their identity. Because if he did it by Je- if he did it just as Jesus, as God, then I, I, we have no hope to do it, <laughs> and it's pointless. And the thousands of, of miracles and testimonies that we have would not have happened, but they did. And it's because Jesus was inviting every person that would ever say yes to him into a lifestyle of the miraculous. He's saying, if I can do it, you can too. You were born for it. It's why people are drawn to the supernatural. It's why more supernatural movies and TV shows and more new age places have popped up than ever before in time. It's because people are looking for an outlet to fill this God-given thing in their heart that draws them to the supernatural. And where there is a void, it creates a vacuum. And when the church creates a void, then the, the devil creates a vacuum, and he will make sure that it gets filled. <clears throat> so, Jesus demonstrates at 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24, this is in the NASB again. It says, And he himself, talking about Jesus, brought our sins in his body up on the cross. Come on. He brought our sins in his body up on the cross. So that it's just so good. That doesn't that make you happy? <laughs> it that right there, <clears throat> that statement right there, that truth, that reality is what sets us free from the power of sin, period. He brought the sin of the world up on the cross, became sin, so that when you and I said yes to Jesus, the reality of Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, that he became a curse for us, that that would come into our lives, destroy the curse off of us, and sin nature would be obliterated from our lives. And I no longer even have to sin. I no longer have to live that lifestyle of sin that now it's a choice. But if I crucify my flesh and die by actually my beliefs going higher consistently into this place of knowing who I am, then I'll, I'll live out of that reality. The only thing that keeps me bound to sin nature is my belief system. Because it says all through the New Testament that it's completely, I mean, if you just read Romans over, I remember reading the first eight chapters of Romans for six months, over and over and over and over again. And then it's sprinkled all throughout the rest of the New Testament that now sin is is dead. I'm dead to sin. And it's dead to me. All right? It doesn't mean temptation doesn't come. I'm not saying that. We say, oh, my sin nature must not be dead because I'm tempted. No, temptation comes. It's like saying that the, though I'm not afraid anymore or bound by fear, fear's not going to come. I tell people all the time, you say, well, you feel fear? That's yeah, just evidence that you're breathing. It's not evidence that you're afraid. It's just that fear comes and knocks on the door. And we, we continually, as we... As we deny fear it it builds this authority in our lives and how we deny fear is is that i go deeper in my new nature because my nature is love and perfect love drives out fear (laughs) so sin has has been has sin has been destroyed now the next sentence so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds you were you were healed isaiah 53 by his wounds you are healed, and by his wounds you were healed. So Isaiah's looking towards the cross. Peter's looking back at the cross. Either way, they're both looking in the place of accomplishment, that it was accomplished in Jesus. And so Jesus paid for sin and sickness simultaneously at the cross. Because the fall of man is what brought sickness into the world. I know there's natural causes for sickness, but if there was no sin that ever happened in the garden, there would never been any sickness or disease that came into the world. So, if Jesus is still saved, we can all agree that Jesus is still saving souls, right? Jesus is still saving people. We all agree on that? 
if he's still saving souls, then he's still healing bodies. He's still performing miracles because it was the same blood that shed at the cross that paid for that, that paid for us to be able to live this life, paid for me to be. I remember the first time I ever got prayer for healing. It was in 2003. There was these guys, rough and rugged dudes that were gathered around me. I had been saved five minutes. I don't even think I knew I was saved. I had said a prayer and and schizophrenia had left and my mind was clear and I could remember stuff and I could carry on a conversation and, and I was just blown away, but I didn't know Jesus. I, I knew he did it. I could equate those things, you know, for one another. Um, but these guys gathered around me because they told me that my knees, the doctor had told me, you need orthoscopic surgery on your knees. <clears throat> We're not doing it for you here. And because my knees would just pop out of place. I, I had dropped weight, gained weight, dropped weight, gained weight, and done powerlifting for, for years, and it just, just, it just destroyed my knees. And I had not went to the doctor for a long period of time uh, with my knees really messed up uh, because I'm uh, just stubborn. And um, I really don't have any other excuses. <laughs> I am a man. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that and I was on the run. I was terrified to go to the hospital, so... That's probably important to mention. But um, so they, te- they tell me I need orthoscopic surgery. I'll need new kneecaps by the time I'm 35. And so these guys gather around me and they pray, and I don't even know what they're doing. They said they're praying for healing for my knees, but I don't, I don't have any clue. What's, I don't know what healing is. I don't know where the scriptures are at. I don't know what Jesus, I couldn't even tell you the gospel, right? I couldn't tell you the gospel. I could tell you a prayer I prayed in this little bitty 8 by 10 room. And uh, I, I know it changed my life, but that's all I could tell you. I couldn't even tell you how it changed my life, really, except for a couple of different things. And I remember after they prayed that prayer, the doctor told me, he said, I, not only do I not want you to, to run or lift weights or play ball, I don't even want you to walk fast. Thanks, Doc. I'll see you. <laughs> so he was just telling me the reality in the natural but I didn't know that there was a higher reality in a different realm that I had entered into as a son of God. And regardless if I had or not, all of those things that are in that realm that Jesus paid for are available to every single person in the world. By that, I mean that anybody can be healed. They, they ain't got to be saved. <laughs> I, can t- I can tell you story after story after story from Satanists to... <laughs> high priests uh, to different people that have we've seen healed by the power of God and they didn't give their life to Jesus. They hadn't given their life to Jesus. So over the next three or four months, my knees were just completely healed. I was, I mean, I, I could jump before kind of, you know, and um, almost made a joke. I'm going to bypass that joke. I'm going to go, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I could, I mean, I could dunk no problem with two hands and shoes that you would not classify as gym shoes. I lifted more weight and ran faster than I ever had before. My knees were completely healed and they still are to this day. They said I'd need new kneecaps at 35. I'm, I'm, I'm a young 42. And, um, and I don't have any problems with him at all whatsoever. That was my, one of my first experiences in my physical body that Jesus could, could heal. And what happens is, is what that did is I look back on that moment that it marked me and it actually released the love of the Father to me in a way that connected me to his heart deeper. And that's, that's the purpose of miracles. That miracles just for the purpose of miracles aren't, aren't what we're after. It's, it's like... It's like hearing God just to get information to relay it to somebody. Well, I'm, I'm not impressed by somebody being able to relay information or even impressed by somebody that can see miracles happen. What I'm impressed by is when that thing is driven by love in such a way that every miracle, that every bit of, of information actually connects somebody to his heart in a way that shows them who he is, because you and I get to be a representation of the Father on planet earth. Because though Jesus invited us into a lifestyle of the miraculous, he ultimately invited us into this place of continually being a demonstration that God is good. 
that God's good in a world, this is, this is the revelation that I believe we're fighting for in our generation. It's not just that God still does miracles. If you go outside of the U.S., that cultures around the world, around the globe, if, if you didn't know, our culture in America is not the prominent culture in the world. 70% of the people that are the fastest growing cultures in the world do not agree with American culture for an array of reasons that I won't list. And they are the ones that will eventually be the prominent people on the planet. It won't be American culture. And some of that will be good. <laughs> but outside of our country, they all believe in the supernatural. Now, they don't all agree that it comes from Jesus. They don't agree that he is the way. They don't agree on all that, but they all agree that there's a spirit realm. And they all agree that, that the miraculous is possible. It's, it's, a, it's a mainstream of thought. So, we're fighting for this, this revelation that God is, that he's a good father. And, and I love that we get to show his goodness through the practical ways. Some of the most amazing things I have seen waitresses heave cry over the register as they have gotten tips that weren't a lot of money for some of us, but for them making $2.13 in an hour, serving in a place that's basically sit-down fast food, right? They don't, they don't get tips like that. And we love to show the extravagant goodness of God in practical ways. I, I love being able to listen to somebody and show them that the Father is attentive. I love to be able to just be a comfort to somebody and share encouraging words with them. I love that we can give stuff to people and, and clothe those that need clothes and feed the hungry, right? Those things are a part of the gospel, but they are not the only part of the gospel. It must go the rest of the way for the goodness of God to be fully demonstrated in the way that Jesus demonstrated it. He started something that you and I get to step into and invite generations to come because I heard this in, in the prayer room is that each one of us, I felt like I was supposed to encourage you that each one of us, the sound of our life will echo, will have a ripple effect until Jesus comes back. It will go through generations and I get to choose how it echoes through time. And stepping into this revelation to be a demonstration of who he is is one of the most prominent and prevalent ways that we can invite these generations to come into a place that will be natural for them to live out of. And it won't be questions in their mind of whether or not God still heals today, or maybe he heals sometimes. But that scripture that I read you, and I can read you a whole bunch more, it says, Jesus healed all. He cast out the spirits of the word. Doesn't sound complicated to me. Sound like it was real easy. He said he did it for everybody. And so there's only a few things because we live, we live in a time, we live in a time, <laughs> did you guys know that people like to watch people play video games? Did you know that? You couldn't have paid me as a kid to watch somebody else play. I could not wait. I was ready to take the controller from you or hit you with mine if it wasn't my turn fast enough. I wasn't saved as a kid. I'm just being honest. <laughs> I wanted that Tecmo Bowl, you know. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Contra, Tecmo Bowl. And then it went on from there. I, I progressed. Sega. <laughs> Super Nintendo. You know. But I did start off on the Atari with the joystick. I was so mad. I was ready to break that thing off. Pac-Man had died again. <laughs> That little game, Pong, it was like the greatest thing in the world. This ball, toof, toof. I'm like, wow, I was easily amused. But we live in a day and time where people love entertainment. Watching people play video games, wa watching, uh, watching sports, watching, where, where's, where's Russ? Is Russ not here? He's not here. Russ, I was going to use him as an example. Who's that other fisherman in this room? Anybody else? Oh, ah, yes, fisherman. Could you, ima could you imagine watching, watching fishing on TV? What's it make you do when you watch fishing on TV? If you see it, it makes you want to go fishing, right? It, it's supposed to actually cause me to want to do. But we sometimes can grow into this place where I'm just content on watching others do it. 
And just say, well, that's not for me. Well, I'll just let them have it. Well, I'm too busy. Well, I'm not sure if I believe that. Well, there's all kinds of things. And I understand all that stuff. I'm, I am compassionate to all levels of wherever you are at today. But I will never stop challenging you into what the truth of the word says. And I will never handle you with kid gloves like you can't handle what the truth is. And so this is, so Mark 16, I'm not going to go there. You don't have to put the scriptures on. If just, these are just two places. Mark 16, 17 through 18 tells us that these signs follow those who believe. These signs follow believers. You're, we're all believers, right? Believers in what? Believers in Jesus. And then signs follow us. You'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You'll drive out demons. You'll speak with new tongues. If you drink anything deadly, it won't hurt you. All right? It, it's, 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 the tru- it's the truth of the word. This, this should never get old to me. The gospel should, this is the gospel. This is, this is the gospel. The gospel should always move me. It should always move me. It should always provoke me. It's like when I think about it again, it's like I'm watching it happen. And it should provoke me in a way that causes me to want to do Right? From a place of being. It's not doing to get something. It's doing because it's part of who I am. It's not outside of my nature. It's not, it's not complicated, but did you see? I almost got you with that spit bubble, man. John 14, 12 is one of my favorite verses. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. I mean, how do you reconcile with that? What's that do when you read that? What's it make you think? Right? What's it do inside of your inner world? Because the way I articulate it and the way I share it with other people, that's incredible. What's it do in here? What's it do to my heart? It should, it should sting me in a good way. Remember, conviction is not a dirty word. Conviction is an invitation where Jesus is holding out his hand and saying, I, just, I got more for you, son. I got more for you, daughter. It's okay. He's not worried at all. <laughs> He's never worried. He's not angry. He's not frustrated. He's not upset. He's the same loving father that he always has been. And he's looking for us to read scriptures like this and say, and let it change my whole inner world. Let it change till it becomes. Remember, I said the culture that I have on the inside of me is the culture I will create around me. I will never create a culture around me that I don't have in here. I can fake culture for so long, but it will eventually implode. Because I cannot, if I want to create healthy culture, healthy kingdom culture, I must have it in here. If I want to create a culture where sons and daughters walk in the miraculous, I must be pursuing it myself. And that's why these things that I preach, this is things that we live. And I don't get it right all the time. But I'll tell you this, is that I know that, that I've, found, I've found the one and I've found the thing that's, that's worth giving everything for. I've, I've found that this is the one thing worth giving this life for. It's the one thing worth it costing me everything is this right here. To see the world change through his love and power. This is it. It's not more complicated than this. And so this is an example of what Jesus did with the disciples. And, and, and you can reference this later in Luke chapter 9, verse 37 through 42 around there. There's this epileptic boy that the, that the father brings to Jesus. You guys remember this story? And the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. They had a, a lept- I'm not telling you that epilepsy is always a spirit. I'm just telling you this time it was. And so this time it was, and the, and the father's frustrated and says, hey, I brought him. He's desperate and frustrated. I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything with him. And Jesus immediately addresses the disciples' unbelief and you can see in there, he goes on to say, this faithless 
which is your belief system. My beliefs are my, my faith in action. And then this perverse generation. If we lean towards what our culture has made that word out to, I won't look it up to find out what it actually means. And in the Greek, what it means is to distort or misinterpret. There was something wrong in, in the disciples' belief system that Jesus was addressing. It would be easy for me to think that he was just giving them a tongue lashing and that there, was, there, that there wasn't any reason behind it. But he was always addressing their beliefs. And then what he did was, in Luke 9, so he ends up performing the miracle. The boy gets free, gets restored back to the way that God intended him to be because God didn't intend him to be that way. He never intends sickness. He never intends people to be, to be the way that they are when they, and when they are not whole. Not God's plan. Otherwise, he wouldn't have paid for us to be whole. And so, in Luke chapter 10, right after that, what's Jesus do? He sends out the 70. He empowers them. I know you messed up. This is what, you, this is what good coaches do. Right? Receiver drops the ball. What do you do? You throw it to him again. Kid misses a layup. What do you do? You give him the ball again. Right? A kid strikes out. What do you do? You put him up to bat again. I'm just trying all the sports. I don't know. Is there, is there ones that you like better? I'll try and hit that one if I know the rules. <laughs> I watched badminton. We were in Pakistan. I was watching them. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get, I don't get it. I'm like, just play baseball. I don't even know. Just get you a bat. Throw the ball right. <laughs> I'm No, sorry, sorry. No, cricket. Cricket. See, I didn't even know the name of it. I watched on ESPN one morning. I, I was like, I tried to get it. I tried to get it. It looked like it wasn't better to hit the ball over the fence. Than, I don't know. I just I couldn't understand. So it's what Jesus did with the disciples. He's empowering. And that's the same thing. If he did it with them, why would it be any different with us? Because one of the, the main things that happen, I told you that complacency can cause us to not pursue the more of God or living the life of the miraculous. And I also mentioned that we can have inaccurate theology. We call it bad theology taught by good people. And I can point to some of the reasons those theologies are taught. They've been passed down through the generations and some of them have been perverted and others they've got, they've been taught out of a place of disappointment. For example, just so I'm clear, healing, physical healing, Jesus paid for it on the cross. I can give you more scriptures than I did. I think that's enough. The only way that I have saw people stop pursuing it is that they will pray for somebody and it won't happen and then in that place I have a choice that's a place of disappointment I have always have a choice in a place of disappointment will I allow disappointment to shape me or will I allow the Bible to trump my experience because this is the final authority and the highest reality Though this has been true for me right here, the, and the person didn't get healed, what it says right here is that Jesus healed them all. And so I continually, relentlessly go back to what the Word says and say, this is my reality. I don't know what's happening here, Jesus, but I'm going to chalk this up as mystery so that it keeps me in, in a place of awe and wonder. And I'm going to... I am going to continue to pursue the more. Because what happens is when I embrace disappointment, I build a theology around my heart to try to protect it that will say, well, God heals sometimes. Maybe God only heals some people. Maybe it just be, if it be your will. Right? Though we don't see any of that in Scripture, but when disappointment wrecks me, those things can shape my belief system. Because when I feed on it, whatever I feed on is going to transform my mind. And whatever transforms my mind is going to affect the way that I live. Because transformation comes by renewing my mind. And when renewing my mind happens with things that aren't truth, it has the same effect as when my mind is renewed with truth. Romans 12.2 Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Something is transforming me. What will it be? And so some of those theologies are built out of a place of disappointment. And I understand disappointment as well as the next person. 
I've got thousands of testimonies where, where Jesus heals. And I, I have not quite as many, but I have hundreds of testimonies where Jesus, where I haven't seen him do what I expected him to do. And I do this, I practice this one thing, is that I take those things and I chalk them up to mystery and I put them in my mystery box so that I continue to move forward. And sometimes it's easier than others, but it always happens. And it's because I've made it a lifestyle. I've made it a lifestyle and I've surrounded myself with other people that provoke me to jealousy in a good way as they're living this life out and we encourage one another. We prophesy into one another's lives. We comfort one another, but we don't let each other stay in this place of complacency because we know that there's more. And so they, they, when you surround yourself with people that are pursuing this lifestyle, they will continually provoke you to jealousy and you will do the same for them as you are. It's kingdom life together. That's what kingdom family looks like. <clears throat> so there, uh, there's uh, two more reasons, and I'm going to close, is that I have uh, seen people stop pursuing this life, and some are uh, sin issues. Now, when I say sin issues, I don't mean a lifestyle of sin. When somebody has chosen a lifestyle of sin as a Christian, it means that they are doing this daily and they have no desire to stop. They're just doing what feels good to them, right? There's no, they've even, there can be a place where conviction doesn't even happen that much anymore, where our conscience is almost like numb to it. And they just don't know who they are. That's all. They just don't know who they are yet. I need somebody to show you who you are. All right, this is what we've all needed and still continue to. So when I say sin issues, I mean people that struggle, not a lifestyle of sin. You're like, I you know, messed up, chose sin, was weak, whatever. And then what happens to us in our inner world, and the devil reinforces this, is that I begin to disqualify myself because I think somehow that I qualified myself. <laughs> and I think, oh, I can't do this. That sin disqualifies me. Can I tell you that that's absolutely impossible to happen? Am I encouraging you to live a life that's less than what Jesus paid for in some kind of sin? Absolutely not. Don't hear that. I'm saying that if you're still struggling, you're working on renewing your mind, you're getting out of this place, that that doesn't disqualify you from walking in a life of the miraculous. I can tell you times that God used me, and I was such... Uh, for years, not just a time, <laughs> for years, and I was an absolute mess. My inner world, I was so dysfunctional. Two years old in Jesus, I was seeing miracles happen. I was seeing demons leave people, prophesying to crowds. God wasn't worried about any of that. Am I saying that He's not, that He doesn't want us to walk in character? No, I'm just saying that He's not worried. Because what happens in Romans 2.4, it says the goodness of God leads man to repentance. When I see him demonstrate a miracle in my life for me or through me or around me, what happens is, is it shows me his goodness. And then that word repentance means to transform my mind. And so then the more that my mind is transformed, the more that I won't live in that place of that sin issue or whatever I've got going on in my life. And... It says that the yoke or the anointing destroys the yoke, or I'm sorry, the anointing destroys the yoke. That thing that keeps us in bondage, when we stop operating out of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in those places, it can sometimes prevent us from actually cutting that thing off because God wants us to step out. He's saying, I've, give, I've given you a plan. Will you try it? So the last one is not being in perfect health ourselves. I know what this is like. So over the, last, over the last year, I have been in pain and struggled with stomach issues, y'all know, uh, more than I've been sick in my whole entire life. Months and months and months and months and months. Uh, from being in Pakistan to I, I preached more times last year, not here. I preached less times here, but more times in different places and in school and all that stuff than I, I've ever spoken before ministered more. And what, what happened was, is the temptation in my times of, of crying out to God and worshiping Him and doing all the things in, in when my alone time that nobody else sees, is that there was this constant battle in me 
of wanting to stop pursuing this particular lifestyle of, of the miraculous, of what I'm made for because of this thing that, uh, because the temptation of being sick, <clears throat> when I'm sick, the temptation is, is that I think, well, I can't pray for you because I'm sick. Or that thing causes me to turn inward. And I start to be selfish. And then I just don't want to pray for somebody else. Not knowing that the power of God doesn't stop flowing through me just because I'm sick. And I learned that over the last year. I learned that I'm stronger than I know. I'm, I learned that he's, he is my strength when I'm weak. I've learned that his grace I can be dependent upon in every season. I learned that I don't have to feel good for the anointing to destroy the power of the enemy in a place. I've learned that I don't have to feel good and haven't I, don't, I know I don't have to receive my miracle for somebody else to get theirs. Because it's not about me. Yes, I want the promise of God for my life. I want to be healed and whole. But if he never did it for me, he's still good. He's still good. He's still good. And that's a place that all of us have to come to ourselves. I can preach that to you. I can declare that to you. We can amen that. But I have to come to a place of that in my inner world. If everything's not going right around me and he doesn't ever... I don't ever get what I feel like I need or his promises say. Will he still be good to me? Yes. Is him sending Jesus enough? And that's what I came, I, I came to a place some years ago. Actually, what solidified it was being sick myself. I preached it. I talked about it. But you know, every revelation requires a response. Every revelation I get, I have to face something that opposes that revelation. Otherwise, it's not really mine yet. I won't know, right? There has to be something that opposes that. There has to be something that bumps up against it. I believe everybody's supposed to be healed. Somebody has to not be healed when I pray for them for that revelation to be opposed. I believe everybody's supposed to be healed. I wasn't healed. And so then I came to a place. I said, Jesus, Father, you sent Jesus to the cross for me, and that makes you good. Period. I'd said that before, but I'd never faced anything that that had to be, that it, anything that pushed it down into the foundation of who I am. And then I come to a place that's okay. And then I can, then regardless of what's going down in my life, people aren't treating me right. Things aren't going my way. I don't feel like I got favor or blessing or whatever on me, that it's not going to be about me, that I'm still going to be able to display his goodness to the world around me. So this is, if you would stand with me as, as I close and just remind you, close and break this fast. This is who we are. This is not unnatural for us. It may feel unnatural at first. But if I want to see more people healed, I got to pray for more people. It's just math. It's not really spiritual. <laughs> you want to grow in the prophetic, hearing God's heart? You got to practice hearing His heart and relaying information to other people. It's, it's simple. If I want to live this life, then, I, then I, I practice it daily. I get around other people because it's who, it's who we are. It's our DNA. We were made for this. So, Father, we thank you that you are taking our thinking to new levels. We thank you that you are transforming our minds with the truth of who we are. Holy Spirit, would you come today? Would you empower us with these truths in a whole new way? Would you take these things down into the core of our inner world? any disappointments things that we need to get rid of now's, now's the opportunity to do it you just give them to him let him have them chalk it up to mystery come back into a place of awe and wonder where we can see the kingdom like little children see the kingdom and display the kingdom 
felt like I could hear the Father saying, I know, you, I know you don't understand, but if you'll trust me, if you'll just allow me to be your safe place, if you'll just allow me to love you the way that I, I want to, I'll show you what you were made for. Just felt like he was saying that he wants to show us that it's a lifestyle of simplicity and intimacy with him. Yeah, Father, we thank you for provoking us to jealousy with the lifestyle of Jesus. Thank you for this family, the Revive the World family. Thank you for people who are hungry for more. And I just declare this over our lives, regardless of where we at, that where we're at today, that we will never stop going after the more that you have for us. We have found the one and the one thing that is worth giving our whole lives for. So we thank you that we get to fight for this revelation that you're good until it becomes normal and natural as salvation. That they actually would be inseparable knowing that that's why you're good. So we thank you that you are helping us even in this moment trump our experience with your truth. And I thank you for helping us continually do that. And as we do what we're passionate about, as we go into our spheres of influence, as we go out this week, I pray that we would feel that draw to living a life of the miraculous, that opportunities would present themselves where we could display your goodness, whatever it looks like in every situation, and that love would be the only thing that would ever compel us, and that we would continually see people connected to your hearts everywhere that we go. So I bless the process and the places that everybody's in right now, I say more, God, more of you upon us at any cost, more of you upon us at any cost, more of you through us at any cost, whatever it looks like. All of us, we just, we know what you're looking for. You're just looking for yes. So we say yes, God. We say yes, Father. We say yes to all that you have for us. And we thank you for this fast. Over the last 30 days, I thank you for the clarity. I thank you for the unity that it's built between us and you. I thank you for the sensitivity to your presence and Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are helping us to come into a lifestyle of, of fasting. Yeah, thank you. I thank you for all the people that were willing to embark on this journey. I know it's, it's not always fun, but it's always worth it. And so I thank you for us living more out of our natural state of being than ever before. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the people that helped prepare this chili cook-off. Bless them all. Yeah, we bless the food. It's time that we get together to hang out. We bless it. Pray that your presence would be even more prevalent as we engage and talk, and that even the small talk would cause us to connect at heart level. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is what I'm going to do. It'd be unusual not to have a prayer team up, prayer team up here, but I think this would be better is that we just go out, file out to eat, hang out. If you didn't bring food, don't worry about it. There's plenty of food, plenty of chili. There's going to be these little cups. They're not for drinks. We're not that mean. They're for you to put chili on, and they got little numbers on them. They'll be in front of everything. And so it's going to be, you're going to write down on a piece of paper what you think is the best. <laughs> Find out how much of your identity you're walking in when you, if you lose. When you lose, because somebody's got to lose, right? There'll be no, 
there will, you will be congratulated for participation, but you will not receive a participation trophy. <laughs> we are not creating mediocre chili makers. <laughs> we want you to get better every year <clears throat> for our sake. But as you're talking, as you're hanging out, and if you've got something that, that needs prayer, listen for the needs of others and pray for one another. Okay? Because everybody in this room has Holy Spirit. You don't always need the prayer team. You, don't, you don't, definitely don't need me. Jesus lives in you. And so you guys can pray for each other. Be sensitive. Talk. I love small talk. Talk about the weather or whatever. But allow this stuff to go heart deep. We're connecting in these times. And as we do, just pray for each other. Right? Same power lives in me, lives in you. So bless you guys. I'll see you out there in a few minutes. Thanks for listening to Revive the World Ministries podcast. Join us each week for another message and listen to past messages by visiting us online at revivetheworld.org.